Hello and welcome to the Divisional Round Recap episode of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zoraris. Phew! What a weekend. I know the games yesterday on Saturday afternoon weren't particularly entertaining. I, I We're going to get to it in a minute. Just bear with me for a second while I give you a quick little rundown of the plans for the week. We got a busy, busy slate together. For Tuesday, going to have a NWHL, National Women's Hockey League, discussion. Their season's going to start next week in a bubble in Lake Placid. The six teams will play, I believe it's a 14-game regular season, and then a playoffs up there in upstate New York. Thursday episode will, actually, yeah, the Wednesday episode will be about the Chicago Blackhawks, who got steamrolled by the Florida Panthers tonight. Yeah, I know pretty much everyone was watching football, but those of us with two screens had hockey on on the second screen. The Thursday episode, the Penguins had a hard time getting their season started thus far. They won today on the noon game on NBC against the Capitals. Didn't look particularly great. Tristan Yari's been worrisome. That'll be a good discussion. And then Friday, we got two awesome conference championship games I can't wait to talk about. Now that I've ran through the schedule... There will be a playoff, some kind of football playoff blog. It's going to be one of two things. i got to figure it out. Once I'm done recording the podcast, I'm going to go write that. Follow the blog, Gotham SN. Good stuff. Follow me on Twitter, at Nick Zararis, Z-A-R-A-R-I-S. And with that, I'm going to throw in a quick little drop here, and I'll see you guys in a sec. Jones has 98 of them. Play fake here, though. Rodgers going for it all. Looking to bring it over. He's got it! Lazard! Gonna go! Touchdown! And with that, I'll start with the game that just finished a couple minutes ago. Buccaneers 30, Saints 20. And it goes without saying that, yes, Drew Brees is one of the probably the five to ten best quarterbacks to ever throw a football. That's not what this discussion is about. This is more from a perspective of someone who's watched the NFL seriously for a long time now, who reads a lot about it, watches a lot about it. I don't know what the Saints were doing today with Breeze. I understand he's your guy, but at some point in that game, Sean Payton needs to realize Breeze can't do it for me. He's averaging 3.9 yards per pass attempt. If I want to win this game, I got to put Jameis in there. He might turn the ball over, but shit, so did Breeze. Breeze threw four picks today. I'll say one of them wasn't his fault. It got batted and intercepted. I can live with that. But after the second pick, I would have thought about going to Jameis. After the third pick, I absolutely go to Jameis in that spot. I understand that Breeze is your franchise's most iconic player. He is the New Orleans Saints, but you don't have a defense as good as the Saints defense was this year every year. The Saints defense is going to lose guys going into this offseason. They have cap issues they need to sort out. They need to figure out the quarterback situation because we all assume that was Breeze's last game. Jay Glazer of Fox Sports reported prior to the game that when, or excuse me, if the Saints lost, that would be their last game. So, now diving a little bit into this game, I 
I wasn't particularly impressed with what Tampa Bay did on offense. They had way, way too many first down runs to the point where I kept <laughs> I kept a running tally, and at one point in the first half, it was seven first down runs to three first down pass attempts. You got to have a little more balance. You can't be telegraphing what you're doing. I understand the offensive line was getting a decent amount of push. They were able to run the ball pretty well. Not like not amazingly well, but Tampa Bay did a nice job moving the ball on the ground. Brady didn't look great today. He airmailed quite a few throws. He missed a few guys who were open. He really seems to be trying to find Gronk on plays that might have worked five years ago, but Gronk can't get out of first gear anymore and has a particularly hard time trying to get to that second level of the defense. That said, their defense made the plays, man. Devin White, the LSU product, was everywhere on that field today. You saw how much of an impact he makes. He had two interceptions. He had more catches today than Michael Thomas did, which I know football Twitter is having a lot of fun with Michael Thomas right now because he likes to talk a lot of he likes to talk a lot on Twitter. And if you're gonna give it, you got to take it too. And Michael Thomas got not a factor today. Yeah, he was playing dinged up. Yeah, he had lingering injuries from the course of the regular season. But four targets, no receptions, no yards. Not great from someone who you consider one of the five best receivers in football. Not not what you want, to quote the great Joe Girardi. I want to give Tampa Bay credit for playing just good enough defense to force Breeze into those bad situations. And Tampa Bay wasn't great today. This was like a C plus B minus level effort from them today. Their game plan on offense especially left a lot to be desired. There was an awfully lot of Leonard Fournette usage, whether it was screens or just direct running plays. Uh, real struggle. Real struggle for both teams to move the ball. It is pretty funny, though, that the biggest play of the game for Tampa Bay, at least on offense, went to Scotty Miller on a ball that was pretty poorly thrown, to be honest with you, where if the defensive back had turned around prior to the ball being in the ball coming in to where Miller was, it probably would have been intercepted. Uh, I wasn't too impressed with what Tampa Bay did on offense. They, they have... They've in the few times this season they had a hard time moving the ball on offense. They've kind of fallen back on the run to just not end up in third and ten. They'd rather be at third and nine, third and eight. I I get why the Bucks ran the ball so much today, especially against the Saints secondary, which is pretty good. You have to respect Lattimore. You have to respect Janoris Jenkins, Pre- Preston Williams, what have you. Preston Williams, Marcus Williams, excuse me. You got to respect the same secondary. You don't want to be throwing against good corners like that, especially when you know Mike Evans is kind of dinged up. Godwin had the one drop today, which I lingers in the back of my mind. But Tyler Johnson, man, nice freaking catch there when the Bucks needed that. Bucks three point underdog went into the Superdome, one by ten, nice cover. Had that as one of my picks on Friday. Feel pretty good about that because the other games weren't as great for me from a gambling perspective. But you do what you can. You do what you can. I don't know where the Saints go from here. I I really don't expect Breeze to be back. It I Do you really want Breeze back at this point? I mean, we saw it today. When they needed plays, he cannot push the ball down the field or throw into particularly tight windows. And all due respect to the legacy NFL, legacy NFL people like Rich Eisen, Kurt Warner, or people on SportsCenter, like you're going to have Saturday, Ryan Clark, or you'll have the people from NFL Live. They're going to cape for Drew Brees that 
it wasn't his fault that he had a hard time today. Yeah, Drew Brees just he's been the problem the last two years when the Saints have been in the playoffs. Last year, I really do remember him having a hard time against that game in the against the Vikings. The game that went to overtime, the Vikings won. Yeah. Brees just can't throw effectively anymore. He can in short spurts, but against good defenses and in the playoffs in obvious passing situations, it's just not gonna work for him. And it's okay. He's 41, 42 years old. He's had a long and storied career. He's a no-doubt first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the most iconic player in the history of the New Orleans Saints franchise. That's a good legacy to leave. He probably, in all honesty, should have walked away last season after how bad it went against Minnesota, but Breeze can retire confidently as one of the 5-10 to best players ever at his position and should... Go enjoy doing color commentary for NBC for Notre Dame football, which is, I believe, what he's supposed to do as they groom him and Mike Tirico to eventually take over Sunday Night Football from Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I just... Tampa Bay left me with a lot to be desired going into an NFC Championship game against the team they boat raced in the regular season when Tampa Bay and Green Bay met in the regular season in Tampa. Green Bay scored the first 10 points, and then Tampa Bay scored 38 unanswered, which was a preposterous game. I'll get to Green Bay in a minute, and then I'll talk a little bit about... I'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm going in reverse order of the games, because the the games today are a little fresher in my mind, and I figure the less I have to look down on my notes and take pauses, the better, because we're all in in a rush. I know tomorrow's a Monday... Today, Monday, isn't... A federal holiday for most people, but important information. Let's get to it. In the Browns-Chiefs game, I really feel for those Browns, man. I won't say they played well enough to win because that defense is just horrendous. But they get one bounce. They have a good chance of being in the AFC title game right now instead of Kansas City because of Mahomes' injury. I'm not going to get to the touchback yet. I want to start with this point about the Browns. It is just proof how easy it is to correct problems if you're willing to identify them. The Browns had Freddie Kitchens. They saw it didn't work and that they needed an adult in the room who could maximize Baker's talents. Stefanski was not a sexy hire, but man, was that offense efficient. Baker didn't have an amazing game today, but he made some freaking big-time throws into tight windows. His receivers did a nice job downfield. The Hooper catch on fourth down stands out in my mind. A couple nice catches from Higgins. Really nice one from Landry. Landry's drop in the red zone, man. So many missed opportunities for the Browns today. That's what I'll say. The The Nick Chubb drops on the screen passes, painful. They didn't use Kareem Hunt enough, which I dislike. Aside from the fact I had Kareem Hunt props bet today, Hunt offers them something that Chubb doesn't, especially in the passing game, and we saw it because, you know, Chubb dropped three screen passes in a drive and a half. Just You can't be having that if you're playing up to a team that's better than you. When you play a team that is better than you, like the Chiefs were today for the Browns, you cannot have those kinds of mistakes. You cannot make the mental mistakes... You cannot give the other team an easy opportunity. All right. 
I'm going to only take like 30 seconds about this because I know the touchback rule is going to be the center of all of the talking head shows tomorrow. And I am not on the rules committee. I am not in those conversations at the league office. I, I just don't think it's fair, to be quite frank with you, that the offense loses the ball because the offensive player is trying to do his job. The offensive player's job is to try and score a touchdown. I feel that if you're going to penalize the offense in that situation, just either you do loss of down penalty, the ball goes back to where the ball was at the start of the play, you lose the down, what have you, or you could do something where it's you lose the down and you go back to the 20-yard line. You lose the down, go back to the 20-yard line, the edge of the red zone, and that you need to have a better solution to that situation because – the Browns had every chance to get back in that game after having a pretty subpar first half and struggling. They forced the Chiefs to settle for field goals. Butker missed a pair of field goals, which was pretty embarrassing. Butker, one of the better kickers in the league. Browns had every opportunity to win that game today, and it was frustrating because I Kansas City does not shit the bed often, and they didn't today. They... I'll I'll give credit where credit's due. Andy Reid going for it there on fourth down at the end of the game with Chad Henney in. It was the right play. Being aggressive in that situation and not giving Baker a chance to beat you was the right call. Personally, if it were me, I probably would have been a coward and punted and said, all right, Baker, go 80 yards in 80 seconds. You have no timeouts. We'll force you to the middle of the field and see what you can do. Maybe he does it. Maybe he does. Who knows? But kudos to Andy Reid for being aggressive and it paying off. As for the Mahomes situation, the Mac Wilson hit, it wasn't particularly vicious. It wasn't some, we don't even know what really happened to Mahomes, to be quite honest with you, because his head never hit the ground. Mac Wilson didn't hit his head. Wilson, it was a weird hit where Mac Wilson went to Alabama, had his arm around Mahomes' neck, kind of like kind of like a rest hold in WWE type thing, and brought him to the ground with that. And Mahomes tried to bounce back up like it was a normal hit because it didn't look particularly weird, but he wobbled, he stumbled, and then went down to the ground. I know he was evaluated for a concussion, but it seems kind of weird he was concussed even though there was no forcible contact to the head. I, I don't know how that works, but obviously he must have had a concussion because he didn't pass the protocol to come back into the game. It, it, it's complicated. From a Chiefs perspective, Henny isn't Mahomes, obviously, and no one is Mahomes, but he's fine. He can make the easy throws. Travis Kelsey can get open against anyone. Ditto Tyree Kill. Ditto McCole Hardman. Darrell Williams gave them a nice change of pace out of the backfield. He was actually pretty explosive. He had a nice, I think he had something between five and six yards of carry per attempt. He had something like 11, 12 attempts. Nice game on the ground from Darrell Williams, who, again, someone I highlighted as a possible difference maker in this game on Friday just because of how bad the Browns' defense was. I know everyone saw the clip of that one double move Travis Kelsey ran against Denzel Ward where he just put Kelsey on the turf and, excuse me, where Kelsey put Ward on the turf and walked into the end zone for a touchdown. Chiefs weren't great today on offense. Like, all of us who watch a lot of football know, they kind of, they get a little too cute with it. They save their offense. They get a lead, and then they don't worry about it. Today was a little different. You have the Bucker. You have Bucker missing the field goals. Obviously, Mahomes getting hurt. 
it's frustrating because Cleveland had a good chance to win that game. At 22-17, even at 22-17, I still felt like if the Browns got the ball back last, they would have a decent chance, but obviously that didn't come to fruition. I wish the Browns would have tried to use Hunt a little more. I know I had said that prior, but looking through my notes here, they didn't run the ball a ton in the first half, which I'm fine with. They understood that to beat the Chiefs, they were going to need to score points, but they didn't do a particularly great job of moving the ball. There were a lot of throws short of the sticks on third down, which linger in my mind, which are kind of a waste of play. I know whenever I would be at Trevor's house on Red, and we would watch Red Zone with all of our friends, he would specifically point out, that guy's short of the sticks. He shouldn't be turning in for the ball yet. But that's one of those little things. Not a lot of people think about it, but it's one of those little things that's the difference between winning and losing to go uh, full any given Sunday. You got to have those little things. All the inches do add up in a close game like that. Those small mental mistakes. I know I saw more than one tweet from someone who had played for the Patriots that that's a Belichick rule. You cannot reach for the pylon, excuse me, reach for the goal line there in that situation unless it's fourth down or a two-point conversion. You cannot risk the touchback in that situation because that is such a significant point swing. And before I wrap up on this game, I know I saw, I think it was Ethan Douglas of The Athletic who tweeted the whole, it's not a 10-point swing because even if the Browns did score the touchdown there instead of getting a touchback, the Chiefs still came down the field and scored anyway. So in reality, it's probably more of like a 4-point swing or a 7-point swing, depending on whether it's touchdown field goal. Still, that those are a significant gr- grouping of points. Every point matters against a team as good as Kansas City. I want to wrap up this point, this set part of the podcast about talking about the Chiefs-Browns game with just a quick, it's all about narrative and situation when it comes to quarterback success. Coming into this year, everybody in the conventional legacy media was ready to give up on Mayfield, Baker Mayfield that is, that he was done, that he was nothing more than a game manager he needs everything per- to be perfect in front of him, that if he doesn't have Beckham and Landry making plays down the field, he's severely limited. And we saw today that that's not true, that the schmucks like Emmanuel Acho from Fox Sports, the people like Ryan Clark from ESPN, who do the live reaction as soon as the game is over, 10 minutes after the game on SportsCenter, they're just, they're just trying to garner things that can be put into a 30-second clip for someone for the social media team to tweet out. I still have it in my brain. After week one, when the Browns lost 38-6 to to the Ravens, Ryan Clark saying that Baker Mayfield was untalented and that he didn't belong in the NFL. After watching the game today against the Chiefs and coming pretty close to getting to the AFC title game, I think we can say that it's time for the way legacy media covers covers sports to kind of It needs a little tweaking. Not everyone is Stephen A. Smith, and not everyone is Skip Bayless. Not everyone is Max Kellerman. You can just do analysis. You can just say, he did not have a great game today because of X, Y, and Z. You don't need to put it into the soundbite and say, he's untalented, he doesn't belong in the league. He's the reason Odell Beckham got hurt. You got to bench him because Odell got hurt because he threw a pick and Odell had to run down the guy trying to tackle him who got hurt. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous shit. And it's part of the reason I, I, I don't really watch the talk shows aside from the SVP Sports Center 
is they're not making me smarter. They're not telling me things I already don't know from just watching the game. It, as a, con, a media consumer, I want to know why things happen. I don't want to know that they happened already. I, I watched the game. I don't need to know that, yeah, the Browns lost. I need to know why they lost. And not just the plays. I need to know what led to the plays. What's the down and distance? What personnel is the defense in? What personnel is the offense in? What's been the tendency on this down and distance for the offense versus the defense? You need those details to fill in the colors. And it's something that no one does. It's it's really something that would be highlighted well by TV. Some X's and O's type stuff would really help explain football better to people. And it leads to dumb things, which is a beautiful way to transition to the Packers-Rams game, because I know that's not the next game in reverse chronological order, but it, uh, again, another thing I saw a lot of dumb people on Twitter saying was, wow, Jalen Ramsey really had a hard time with Devontae Adams. No, he didn't. Jalen Ramsey was not shadowing Devontae Adams. Anyone who has read anything about the Rams defense knows they live in zone coverage, and they play with something called a star position, where they use Jalen Ramsey in kind of a big nickel role where he's down close to the line of scrimmage and he's going to get a third of the field he's going to get, or he'll get, if he's not dropping into one of the deep thirds in a cover three, he'll be down towards the line of scrimmage in a flat or maybe a hook curl, something in that way, taking away a lower part of the field because he's so long and so athletic. Because I... I know, we all saw those plays where Adams was either coming across the width of the field and using his speed to get an advantage because crossing routes are hard to defend in man coverage. I, or there was one, I know, I forget what what verified schmuck tweeted it, but what he said something to the effect of, wow, Ramsey really having a hard time, and it was just a five-yard in. And it's because that wasn't Ramsey's zone. In zone defense, Ramsey's job was to just run with Adams to the next zone the linebacker who was supposed to be in that zone wasn't there, so Ramsey had to chase Adams from behind across the width of the field and tackle him from behind, which is not particularly easy. Now, going into the Rams-Packers game, which was 32-18 Green Bay, and I'll be honest, that score sounds a lot closer than the game actually was. There was that one moment there where it kind of looked like the Rams were going to make it a game, but... They just had too hard of a time moving the ball on offense. I know it's easy to write off the Rams' struggles as just the physical limitations of Jared Goff, which is a valid criticism. Goff is a very, very vanilla passer of the football. He can occasionally zip it in there. He had a lot. He had a real grouping, a nice grouping of throws in that first quarter where they were having a lot of success attacking the seams, and he was throwing it pretty tight in new tight windows, and. They were moving the ball moderately well, but the Rams weren't getting those chunk plays. In the regular season, when the Rams were successfully moving the ball, it was because they were able to set up some shots with play action, or they were able to do bubble screens, that kind of thing, where Woods could take a ball after the catch, Cup could take the ball after the catch, Von Jefferson, either Higby or Everett. They, It's a lot of short passes, that kind of thing, which... Green Bay has the secondary to keep everything in front of them. Jair Alexander is awesome. Savage is a good safety. Adrian Amos, uh, Adrian Amos is a good safety. Then you have guys like uh, King, the other second corner, who's pretty good for Green Bay. I I understood what the Rams' game plan was. 
They had a nice game on the ground. I know Cam Akers averaged about five yards a carry. But all those little vanilla short plays did not add up enough. When you're playing a team with an offense as dynamic as Green Bay's, especially when you have an elite defense, you can't bank on your defense, man. Just in today's league, everything is set up for the offense to have an advantage. And it there's just not really a way to win a Super Bowl anymore running the ball and playing defense. You can get pretty close, and you might be able to do it for a single year, but for a multi-year window, I think there's a... I don't... Obviously, I'm not telling you the Rams are going to do this, but you could consider drafting a quarterback in round two or three if I'm the Rams. I could look at someone to push Goff and maybe try and make him a little better. I had read something. I want to say it was in The Athletic. I'm pretty sure it was Robert Mays who wrote it, where... He wrote something about the death of the last generation of quarterbacks. The Brady, the Breeze, Rivers. Those guys, we're never going to see pure pocket passers like those guys again. And he, in his story, he quoted Jesse Palmer, the former NFL quarterback who does college football stuff for ESPN, who works with a lot of these guys in the offseason. Not really a quarterback whisperer, but that, that kind of vibe where... He works with a lot of guys individually in the offseason, but he wrote, excuse me, Palmer told him that Goff is the last pocket passer that's ever going to be selected number one overall just because of how inefficient they are, that it limits what you can do as an offense in a way that other teams don't. Think back to last week, excuse me, the wild card weekend. Yeah, think back to the Bills and the Colts game where when the gate plays were breaking down, Rivers wasn't able to get out of those situations. He just had to let the pocket collapse on him and eat the sack or throw the ball the way, ball away. Josh Allen wasn't great last week, and I'm going to get to their game in a minute here, but when they needed a play, Allen was able to make things happen down the field, and I just don't feel that way about Jared Goff. I think Goff is decent. If you put him in a perfect situation, he can be fine. He does throw a nice spiral. He can hit guys who are open. He is a competent quarterback but he's never going to be a dominant force. He's never going to be particularly particularly effective. He can be efficient, yeah, but nothing spectacular. Looking here on my notes, uh, it's important to note that, yes, the Rams did have an elite, elite, the number one defense in all of football this year, but they only got the Packers to punt twice, and the two punts were a result of Rodgers just missing wide-open guys. I know Rodgers' stat line was gaudy as hell. He was something like 23 of 26 for like 295 and three tutties. Uh, no, two rushing, two passing touchdowns and the one rushing touchdown on the option play. But Rodgers didn't have a particularly great game. He missed two wide-open guys on bombs that would have been touchdowns. He had Lazard drop that other one, but then he hit him later. It was one of the prettiest throws of the NFL season. I... I'm going into next week, the championship weekend, just assuming it's Green Bay's Super Bowl to lose. Oh, wow. That uh, surprise was that the Chargers hired Brandon Staley, which the uh, Rams defensive coordinator, which comes as a shock. The uh, reporting the last few days was that Brian Dabble, the Bills offensive coordinator, was going to be the hire in, um, going to be the hire for the Chargers in L.A., but I guess maybe the Chargers were being impatient. They didn't want to wait to see when the Bills would get eliminated. And I know I was pretty impressed 
with Staley from the interview I read he did with The Athletic where he talked about just how he views defense and that it it's better if the other team just runs the ball for four yards a clip, five yards a clip the entire game because it means they're not throwing the ball over your head. And then once you get down to the red zone, you got a decent chance of stopping them. Interesting. I'll try and get one of my... I'll try and get Trevor on to... Or maybe I'll... I'll either get Trevor or Shane, the two Charger fans I know, to come on and talk about them. Because this is an interesting hire. The Chargers are a very interesting team. They have a lot of pieces I like. And once we get to the football offseason, they'll be... They're one of the teams that I think could make a pretty significant leap next year with not too much roster tinkering. But... Back to the playoff discussion, we'll talk about Brandon Staley's Rambles a little more. Their defense did what they could, but there's only so much you can do against an elite offense and one of the two, three best quarterbacks ever. Rodgers wasn't even feeling himself on Saturday, and he was dominant. I, I can only imagine what he might do to the Tampa Bay defense if he's actually hitting guys on those wide-open throws when they're burning people on double moves deep. The Packers, in general, just did a really nice job of keeping the Rams' defense off balance. Yes, it has to be mentioned that Aaron Donald, you know, the best defensive player in football, was obviously not 100%. He had to go in and out of the game a lot. He was dealing with that rib injury, which clearly affected him. And it sucks because him against Corey Lindsley was going to be one of the better matchups to watch all week. But, hey... Injuries are part of football, unfortunately, and you have to be able to adapt to that situation. The Rams' defense played a lot of zone. They dropped their guys back and tried to get by only rushing four quarter, uh, rushing four passers, excuse me, rushing four pass rushers, and they weren't able to get enough heat on Rodgers and make anything happen for them. And the Rams, I think, will be back. I, they've got Ramsey and Donald locked up. John Johnson is young, Darius Williams is young. The core pieces on their defense are pretty young. The offense, they locked up Cooper Cup, Akers coming off of rookie year. Robert Woods, I believe, needs an extension. And then you only really have money tied up in a few guys. I, I expect Whitworth, the left tackle, will retire, and they need to address that. But the Rams have a nice roster that's not too, not too top-heavy. They don't have a first-round pick this year. Jacksonville still has their second, has their first-round pick from the Jalen Ramsey trade. You do that. Rams are not that far off from being a serious contender. It was nice to see them bounce back this year. McVeigh is a good coach. He can occasionally get in his own head and overthink things, especially thinking of the Jet game in particular. In my mind, it's there's time for the Rams. I think there's a lot of time. For the Rams to figure it out. And I think McVeigh is your guy. Maybe till he just gets bored of coaching. To be honest with you. He did a lot with a little this year. Their offense wasn't particularly sexy. It was not It was efficient. They moved the ball. They got all of the short passes. They got the RPOs. The screens. Goff has his limitations. And that's a good way to transition to the fourth game. The last one to talk about. The Bills and the Ravens. Which was... A very weird game. I, I know the final was 17-3 to Bills, but it felt a lot closer than that. And if it weren't for Lamar's pick six late in the game when they were driving down the field, the final score of that game would have been 10-3. to The Bills just... Neither team was able to move the ball well. I, the Ravens offense I'm going to get to in a minute, and no, this is not going to be me ragging on Lamar. Both defenses came out and played pretty pretty damn well. The defenses did their jobs. 
the Bills defense kept Lamar in passing situations and forced him to throw. When you only have two or three receivers down the field, it becomes harder to throw in those tight windows. The Ravens defense, man, they put a lot of heat on Josh Allen. They forced him to throw the ball. They, The Bills obviously know they couldn't run the ball. I mean, they didn't attempt the running play until I think the last minute of the first quarter where they came out and ran 10 straight passing plays, their first few possessions, because it was just more efficient to do that. The Ravens were putting a lot of guys down in the box and saying, all right, throw, and the Bills obliged them, and Bills threw quite a bit. Josh Allen wasn't great. I mean, he missed a lot of open guys. He had more than one chance at a deep shot that he just airmailed, where his receiver, whether it was Gabe Davis one time, whether it was Diggs, his receiver beat his man, and there was no one in front of him, and Allen just missed. I know it was pretty windy in Buffalo, but if you're going to win against the Chiefs next week in Arrowhead, you're going to be hitting those guys deep, man. You don't know how many of those open receivers you're going to get down the field, and points are going to be at a premium against an elite offense. I mean, points are at a premium on Saturday. I it was weird to see, considering the perception going into that game was that these are two high-flying offenses that are going to push into the 30s, but Ravens had a hard time moving the ball. I mean, the thing I saw a lot of talk about on Twitter, I want to say it was Dominique Foxworth, the ESPN uh, commentator, who said that a lot of the Ravens' problems stem from the fact that on a lot of these plays, they only have, like, three receivers down the field or four receivers total. That's including, like, tight end, running back, what have you, because they're keeping in extra guys to block because they're trying to make everything look like a running play. But when you only have, you know, Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, and Willie Sneed going down the field, the defense has, you know, six guys back to cover three. The math just doesn't work. And I know Lamar gets a bad rap for his limitations as a passer. He's got all of the arm talent you need to be fine at the NFL level. He can throw the ball. His accuracy isn't elite. It's average. He is an average passer of the football. He can throw to guys who are open. He can occasionally get it into a tight window. But the easier the throws are, the better. And obviously his best asset is his dynamic running, which the Bills did a terrific job keeping him in the box and not letting him break his break contains. The Bills did it with defensive backs, where they were bringing corners down towards the line of scrimmage. They were bringing an extra... I know, I think it was Collinsworth who pointed it out during a play on pre-step, where for pretty much the entire second half, the Ravens were, excuse me, the Bills, were cheating a safety down into the box and making it a cover one look, where that extra safety was down there to play the run, and that freed up someone to come in to keep... Lamar inside the tackle box, force him to throw, and if they've only got three guys going out on routes for catches, you got the numbers advantage, which is all football is, especially at this level against the good teams. If you have the right math, you will have an advantage. I believe it was Warren Sharp who tweeted about it during the Packers-Rams game that the... I believe it was the Packers did not run the ball into a single eight- or nine-man box the entire game. That is good play calling. Now, whether that's LaFleur giving a play and then Rodgers changing the play because he sees what the box alignment is, or it's they're seeing that what personnel is in the game for the Rams and then the Packers calling a 
passing play based on that personnel, you want to put your guys in positions to succeed. And it's a lot easier to do that when you have said numbers advantage. For the Bills, going into Kansas City next week, they are going to need to score a lot more than 17 points, especially considering seven of them came on a pick six. You're not going to beat the Chiefs. with Even if the Chiefs have to start Chad Henney, which I'm going to get to in a second, you're going to need to score more than 10 points, man. That's still Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Mecole Hardman on the other side. Hell, apparently Darrell Williams is just the Damian Williams this year where he's going to run for six yards a game in playoff games because the team is so the defense is so scared of Mahomes that they're just going to be willing to give you the running plays, which is the right call. You want to give you want to take the ball out of the other team's best player's hands. If you give the de- the other team's offense a soft look where you only have five or six guys in the box against a running play and they run the ball, every time Darrell Williams or Le'Veon Bell runs the ball is a time that Patrick Mahomes isn't throwing in the ball. That is a win for you as a defense. And the Browns did an okay job of that today. I would have liked to have seen them try and sell out to protect the pass a little bit more and try and get them to throw to Dar- uh, run with Darrell Williams a little more. Because Chiefs are doing whatever they wanted in the passing game. And for the Bills against the Chiefs, I mean, you're going to see a lot of the Chiefs' flaws on defense where they're going to live and die on their pass rush because their back end, aside from Tyron Matthew, is pretty mid. Brashad Breland is fine. He's nothing special. I mean, Reed Sorensen is a liability in coverage pretty much whenever. Sorensen, the guy who, you know, Concussed Rashard Higgins and forced him to fumble into the back forward fumble into the end zone for a touchback. Uh, Sorensen is a liability in coverage. Hitchens is not great, the linebacker, not not particularly fast. I, I, the Bills, I know they don't really have a running back who's effective in the passing game, but if there were ever a time to dial up some Devin Singletary screens, it would be this weekend. They're going to need everything to get past a juggernaut Kansas City team. Now. <clears throat> As far as the concussion protocol stuff with Mahomes goes, there is time for him to clear protocol by Friday so he can be back for the the AFC title game on Sunday. But there is a process to clear the protocol that takes a number of days. I believe the earliest Mahomes could hypothetically be cleared to resume practicing is Wednesday. But being that teams aren't allowed at their facilities Monday and Tuesday... I don't know if Mahomes will be able to clear as early as Wednesday. He might have to wait till later in the week. But based on the lines I'm seeing from the sports books and <clears throat> what Ravel, yes, I know Darren Ravel, not someone I should be like, you know, sourcing and quoting from, but Ravel, who works for the Action Network, had people on there that were, you know, medical people. I'll put that in air quotes because I don't know what those people qualifications were, but they both said that <clears throat> Mahomes will have every opportunity to clear concussion protocol, and if he does, he will play. If not, I don't want to say the Chiefs can't win with Chad Henney. I mean, I'd probably still bet the Chiefs if they played Chad Honey next weekend just because you don't know what you're going to get from the Bills' offense. The Bills' offense was not particularly good on Saturday. Allen missed a lot of open guys, had quite a few drops, which sucked to see because, you know, you want to see a good game. That, the games on Saturday were kind of stinkers. 
both Sunday games were pretty good. I, the Chiefs and Browns game was pretty fun for me. I was rooting for the Browns. Uh, I was sweating out to see if they were going to come back, cover my bets. The Browns did their jobs, you know, good teams win, good teams cover, all that. <clears throat> Bills need their offense to deliver what it did in the regular season. A lot more than what it did against Baltimore. Kansas City's defense nowhere as good as Baltimore's. Now, my main takeaways from this weekend are still that these whoever's calling plays, man, they just aren't up on the times. I, you saw it from Tampa Bay, the amount of times they were running the ball on first down and just kind of telling the defense, yeah, it's first down, we're going to run the ball, and giving away... You're giving away the story here, man. You can't be giving away plays in the playoffs. Every play is valuable, and the short passes are just more valuable than two or three yard runs. It's, it's. I don't know what is the disconnect between those of us, you know, with access to the internet who can look up any statistical model, and these guys whose life is coaching. Like, I get it for a lot of these coaches, you know, guys in their mid-40s and early 50s, that the internet is like, you know, just for see pictures on Facebook of your family and stuff, but there's so many resources out there that could help all of these coaches do just a little bit better. I'm thinking of the the punts that Bruce Arians had in the Bucks saints game, where he was just rolling the dice that his defense would be able to stop Breeze, and yeah, that worked, but you ain't going to be able to punt against Aaron Rodgers next week, man. You're just not. You think about the problems the Ravens had where, again, they were only sending two or three guys out on routes every play, so there was no one for Lamar to throw to. And when there were people open, they were dropping them. Ravens had a really chronic drop issue this season, and I think we saw the limitations of Greg Roman's offense as a play caller because he really didn't have anything aside from, all right, Lamar, Read option, get the edge, try and break contain, and do what you can. There was no, there was no secret sauce. The Rams, excuse me, the Ravens still don't have base bread and butter plays that can work, based on regardless of situation. I know um, Booger made the point last week on the ESPN megacast of the Titans Ravens game that the Ravens don't have a. All right, this is our short, this is our short RPO play for six yards on first down just to get our offense into a rhythm. And you see problems the Ravens have where if they can't get their running game going, they never get into a rhythm. They got to, at some point, give Lamar some passing plays to let him get into a rhythm throwing the ball. Just rattling around in my head. What else stands out? Coaches are still kind of scared. I know I did my ranting Monday podcast last week about coaches playing not to lose, and there wasn't as much of this this weekend, but still, man, Stefanski... I know it was fourth and nine for the game, and they you were on like your own thirty-three yard line. But I think it was probably a better bet to let Baker try and make a play than hoping your defense, which has been pretty bad all year, could stop even Chad Henney. Yes, I know it was Chad Henney, but man, you gotta give your best player a chance to win the game, and Baker was the Browns' best player. I I know they had a decent amount of success running the ball with. Uh, Nick Chubb, but I'd rather have taken my chances with Baker trying to throw the ball there to get you a first down and win you the game that way than pray your defense could stop them with enough time left to make some plays. You, you gotta play to win, not to lose.
And the biggest key to playing to win is being efficient with your downs. This is the last stop before I get everyone out of here. You want to see your offense being in second and five, second and four, second and six. You don't want to be in second and ten, second and nine. I would rather be incomplete pass on first down because you were trying to be aggressive than a running play for one yard set up second and nine. God forbid you run the ball on second and nine and you set up a a third and long. You want to be ahead of the sticks. Canadian football, three tries to get a first down. You want to get first down on first or second downs. You don't want to have to wait till third down because then you're setting yourself up for a disadvantage. You want to keep the defense off balance. And it's the thing that stands out the most with me, uh, to me about what Green Bay did to the Rams was they were able to run or pass in any situation because of the advantage they had set up where they weren't predictable on offense, where they came out throwing on early downs. Then later in the game when they wanted to salt the game away, A.J. Dillon run, Jamal Williams run, Aaron Jones run. That is the key to elite offense, which is the key to being a good football team in today's NFL. You have to have the elite offense. You have to be able to move the ball in key situations. You have to be able to run or pass out of any down and distance. That is the key. You want the defense so off balance they don't know what is coming, and it makes it harder for them to adapt. Because if you don't know if run or pass is coming, you have to respect both. If you have to respect both, you're going to be leaning one way or another. And that's where play action comes into it. Because if it could be a run or a pass in that situation and there's a play fake, the linebackers and safeties have to come down and respect the run. And it's one of the interesting things I've learned over the last year or so I've really gotten into football analytics. You don't even need to be running the ball efficiently for play action to work. In Warren Sharp's book, in his preview for the 2020-2021 NFL season, on the first, in the introduction section where he doesn't even cut, where he's just like setting the tone for what the preview is about, he wrote that statistically there's no difference, there's a negligible statistical difference in linebacker reaction time to passing play whether or not running the ball has been successful. I know that's the antithesis of everything you've heard from conventional football people your entire life. People on ESPN, the people on CBS, Fox, NBC, whatever. Play action works regardless of whether you run the ball. The the math backs it up. Statistically speaking, there is a proven record. No matter how inefficiently you're running the ball, play action still works because the linebackers and free safeties have to come down and respect it. With that wisdom, going to get everyone out of here. Only a short short episode, less than 50 minutes. Busy week, lots of sports stuff. Football, hockey, basketball. Baseball hot stove is starting to get a little, little warm, a little warmer. Probably a baseball episode sometime next week. We'll see where more free agents go. We're about a month out from spring training, which makes things interesting. So, be back tomorrow. National Women's Hockey League, Lake Placid, bubble. Interesting story. It'll be informative for me, too. I got to catch up on my women's hockey. I've, I've been too focused on the football playoffs and haven't done as much reading as I should. So good guest tomorrow. Stick around. Gotham blog tomorrow, more than likely, if I can get it out in time and if I can catch an editor at the right time. I'll see you guys tomorrow.